Hi, friends. Before we dive into today's episode, I wanted to let you know that if you like what we talk about here on the Belonging Podcast, I think you'll really love my book. It's called Root and Ritual, Timeless Ways to Connect to Land, Lineage, Community, and the Self. And it is available right now wherever books are sold. It is a beautifully illustrated guide to connecting with the earth, your ancestors, and your communities as you come home to your whole self. Though we live in a radically different looking world, the needs of our bodies and spirits are the same as the ancestors we come from. I divide this book into four parts, land, lineage, community, and self, and I take you on a journey for engaging more deeply with your life. I provide stories from my own life and I share rituals, recipes, and ancestral wisdom, journal prompts to support you on your individual and unique and sacred path. You can get more info and bonuses at rootandritualbook.com and pick it up at your favorite bookstore online or in person. Thanks for all your support. It means the world to me. I'm Becca Piastrelli, and this is Belonging, where I talk about what it means to belong to the earth, to yourself, to your ancestors, and in community. Today's episode is responding to a question, a worry, a curiosity, something that has been brought to me a lot over the last several years and a lot, a lot in the last 18 months on Instagram and in email. And that is about the times we're in and being a mother, being a parent in the times we're in, and just a lot of curiosity, like, Becca, what are you feeling and thinking about this? And of course, that is because a lot of people are feeling and thinking about this and struggling with it. Guess what? I'm struggling too. So I'm not here to share some sort of solution to your eco grief solution to your pandemic rage or whatever it is. No, but I am here to share my heart and my thoughts and folks that have really helped me move through and with this. So, right. I find that I feel too the predominant troubling feeling states as it relates to a changing climate, and that is anxiety and grief. The anxiety, I'm, I'm feeling it particularly really intensely right now because here, you've heard me talk about this if you've listened for, to this podcast, here in Northern California where I live on Coast Miwok land, we are in fire season, which gets longer and longer every year. And really seemed to dial up in a really intense way in 2017. And 
I'm recording this in September, and we're actually having a break right now in air quality. So today is one of the days I, I've i asked our nanny, the person who cares for our child when we're both working, to take Atlas outside because the air is breathable. I feel sad saying that. I feel grief saying that. But that is true, that this is a time when there are fires burning all up and down the west coast of North America, so-called, and it's really impacts a feeling of safety. So I feel anxiety from June to the first rains, which lately come around November. That's a long time to feel just a gripping sense of what's going to happen next and will I be safe? And um, I feel that way with a windy day now. It was windy this morning. And I remember not so long ago, the early signs of fall, like the early leaves start to blow off the trees and the wind blow through them and feel the magic in the air. Like it's time to play a practical magic and worship Nicole Kidman and Sandra Bullock style and like get all witchy. And now when I feel the wind, I think, oh, God, no, 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 no. The wind moves fire. The wind moves fire. The wind kicks up fire. So that's the anxiety I feel. And then there's the anxiety of reading the news, reading about the fact that it rained for the first time in recorded history in, is it Greenland? Up north. Reading about fires in Greece and Turkey and reading about horrific hurricanes that are just instantly flooding cities and trapping people, reading about death, reading about climate migration because places of the world are so hot now that they are unlivable. And then reading the reports of what's to come, really the trends that are coming to fruition around parts of the world that will not be livable much longer and where there will be more drought and more fire and where there will be more water and, 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 and. I have to take a deep breath even saying all this. Because I have a baby. I chose, I chose to bring a baby into this world. And so my anxiety is for my safety and hers. I'm, I'm very invested in her safety. I'm very invested in her thriving. And one of the reasons why I, uh, Tim and I have been together 16 years and we just had a baby at year 15. And one of the reasons why we waited quite a bit was because we felt uh, a lot of trepidation and, and like, is it ethical? Is it ethical to bring a human being into a world that doesn't seem to be going well for the humans? And for a while I said no. And then my biology and my heart and my spirit said yes. And I, it was really hard to rectify those two 
opposite feelings. And I remember I was having a conversation with a friend down in Mexico. I was getting my business degree in sustainability and I was going to this part of Mexico, this uh, community just outside of Mexico City where they were doing a version of climate change work for that community. And I said to her, like, do you think it's right to bring a baby into this world knowing what's coming? And she said, the world needs more Jedis, Becca, for what's to come. And for some reason, that really resonated. And I'll always wonder if it was just a little selfish and a little biology, but the meaning I'm making of continuing my lineage and having my beloved child is to support her in navigating a changing world and knowing that her, by the time she's in her thirties, like I am, the world will be different. It will look different. And I feel grief saying that. So the grief, the grief is big. It's almost too much, right? If we really go there about all that is the animals, the fish. I really felt it so big during those Australian fires last year. Thinking about all those animals, all those plants, and thinking about all the communities around the world in less privileged areas, areas that where the waters are rising and the sun is hotter and the crops are drying up. It's, it's a lot. And so here is where we come to the importance of ritual and the importance of the rite of grief and that we live in a, such a death phobic society. I think so many people in this world cannot even fully handle on a nervous system level what is happening. Of course not. Of course not. It hasn't been modeled for us. It's moving very quickly. And there are still some people who deny it's even happening. So I've had to give myself a lot of compassion to the parts of me that are panicking and are devastated because I have a child now, so I cannot put my head in the sand. I think that's the difference now. Well, I've made an investment in the future in a deeper way. And what Stephen Jenkinson calls the not yet, having anxiety over a future that is not yet. I could really project and catastrophize into the future, but I do not want to because I have a child who I want to thrive in that future, in that not yet. And there are decisions we can make now that do affect that not yet future. There are also certain things that are pretty much going to happen in that not yet future, but we are here in the now. So what am I doing? Well, 
there are some very important somatic tools. Uh, I did an episode interview with Rachel Alaya on eco-anxiety and eco-grief a few years ago. We'll link it in the show notes where she talked about some somatic tools. And really it's about regulating our ability, our nervous system's ability to be with what is happening. Because panicking and freaking out is not a sustainable option, right? And we are still here. I am still here. We are still here. So breath, number one thing. You're probably like, I know, I know. But like, we know, but do we do? Do you do? Breath, breathing in. And breathing out a little bit longer. Do it with me. Breathing in. Do it one more time. Breathing in. Breathing out. There's one tool to move through these moments. Another tool is to let your feeling move through you. So oftentimes I need to cry. I need to cry hard. And it's often when I'm reading news or when there's a fire nearby, which there often is here. And it is a very reasonable response to feel grief, to news of the last rhino, the last white rhino's death, the news of the humpback whale that swam for thousands of miles with its dead baby on its body, the news that koalas burned in Australia news that another tanker has run aground and there is oil spilling into the ocean. These are upsetting. And if we hold in our reaction, we are not available to the moment, to each other, and to what is needed of us. Let it move through you. It does not last forever. And you have proof of that. I know you do. That time that you thought that that feeling would kill you and it didn't. Right? Let it move through you. If you need to get to a space that feels safe, like the bathroom or your bed, let it move through you. And then the other tool that is so important, particularly with anxiety, is looking for what is real and good right now. So you scan the room. Okay, I'm looking at my desk and I have this beautiful bouquet of flowers my friend Gina of Bloom Generation made for the new moon. It is still, it is steady. It is blossomed and bloomed. It has been touched by hands that I love. I see Dahlia and Zinnia and straw flower and sage 
and a pretty orange flower I don't know the name of, and a pretty yellow flower I don't know the name of. And that is real and true. That is beauty. That is generosity. That is unmovable and true right now. So if you're really freaking out, find what is real and true and good wherever you are. A tree, you're standing on earth, something that feels good to the touch, water, drink a glass of water. It works. It helps. And then something else that has helped me in this transition time of becoming a mother in a time of climate collapse. Some folks have a hard time with the word collapse. I'm really starting to connect to it because I'm realizing I am not collapsing. It is collapsing. The system that extracted from the earth is extracting from the earth. It's collapsing. And what can we do with this wave of climate shifts? And so I look to storytellers who work with this. And there are two stories I particularly recommend. And they're both aimed at young adults, which I think is, of course, right? They are the adults of this, of this next time. They are the leaders of this next time. So one is the Wild Folk series by podcast guest and friend Sylvia V. Linstead. Wild Folk and Wild Folk Rising, which is um, a story about what remains after the collapse of it all. And it's a, a return to wildness. It is a future, a mythical future. And it's actually written about the land I live on now, Marin County, California. And it's beautifully done, and it really expands your perspective on what is possible in a changing future, right? Instead of catastrophizing that, like, this is the apocalypse, even though Rachel Rice uh, talks about how apocalypse, it's just the beginning of something different. And so what is that different thing? So the other story is the Netflix series Sweet Tooth. Have you ever seen that? It's also a young adult, but a young adult theme and very topical to a time when the COVID-19 virus is very much a part of our collective story about the earth after a virus hits and something happens and the survivors and what they do. And it's also mind expanding and heart expanding. And I think a great thing to watch with your kids. My child is a little too young, but I think it's an important thing to think about. What's an important thing to think about? how much we rely on electricity and running water. And I guess the opposite of that is what don't we know about the land we live on? I don't love the term prepper because it feels very individualistic and truly if like 
for those of you who either know people who have been part of some sort of like large scale disaster, like you can't do it alone. Community care is the future. Knowing our neighbors is what's going to get us through these times and knowing the land. And so while I have a partner who's very drawn to the prepper lifestyle, I'm like, well, as long as we're sharing, as long as we're sharing and connecting, you can get all those generators. <laughs> but yeah, what Wild Folk and Sweet Tooth bring up is shows a future where the, the wild returns and grows over the airports and through the gasless cars and those who have survived get reacquainted with it. And so this is, this is the foundation of why I've, I study herbalism, why I'm teaching myself to garden, why I have a laundry list, a long laundry list of things. I want to learn tracking and I'm moving slow because urgency never really truly integrates into the body like a slow and steady curious pace does but that's why we do, we've learned with chickens and I've taken beekeeping classes it's a way to be like actually these are tools that I believe atlas my child will need and I will need in the future in the not yet and these two stories wild folk and sweet tooth evoke that in me so yeah, community care, knowing your neighbors. I've talked about this in past episodes, knowing your neighbors, even if they don't vote the same way you do or believe the same things you do about the vaccine or the president or this is a really hard one. I wouldn't say I'm amazing at it, but it's, I'm realizing despite in this time where we are having like really strong stances on things that feel life or death so important, what is true for all of us is we are human. What is true for all of us is climate change is happening. And like on my street, if a fire comes, I need to know who's, or they cut our power, who's on oxygen, who needs help evacuating. Same thing for anything else, right? And at that point, we all just come together. We need to come together. Community care. Who needs us? Who do we need? It's a big change from this culture of me first, me only, protect us, don't trust others. It's it's a tall order, and I'm talking like I know, but I am stumbling through alongside all of you. I'm I'm listing these things because after the grief comes a real desire to do something. Like as you pray, move your feet, that proverb. Like I need to move my feet towards something. It's to the garden. It's to checking on my neighbors when I haven't seen them in a few days. It's to seeing who in my greater community needs support. And then... There is this idea of conjuring curiosity that comes from a wonderful, she's a therapist and she specializes in earth grief and eco-anxiety, Mary Good. We'll put her information in the show notes on Instagram. She's the Splendor and Travail. 
with some underscores. But if you look up Mary Good or The Splendor and Travail, you can find her. And she's a great follow. I remember a few years ago, it was raining up here, but the Amazon was burning and it really hit the headlines. The Amazon was burning. And I had like a total freeze panic experience in my body, really just feeling like the world was going to end that day. And I remember she made a post about like, yes, this is happening. Yes, it's a perfectly reasonable response to feel upset and scared for the animals of the Amazon and the lungs of the earth and all of that. But let me take you through this process where you like, let's fact check. Let's learn. Let's just regulate what's true. What other information can we get? And so she has this post called how to navigate earth grief and eco anxiety, a mini tutorial that we will post in the show notes that takes you through six states where you regulate to know that you're safe. And once you're there, she wrote, is that right? Then you check multiple sources and you hear from, you try to find experts in that field. Like for instance, I've been so upset about all the wildfires that are burning here on the West Coast. And then I have just like literally today been reading these reports from uh, a woman who's on the scene, like chainsawing, protecting, creating defensible safe spaces, lighting fires to move, like lighting um, strategic fires to move the fire away. And she's saying like, we have to take heart in the fact that this, that the, this fuel wants to burn that California is a burn ecology and that these trees want and need to burn. And that fire is what spreads seeds and creates new life. Yes. It's very devastating to homes and things, but let's just expand our perspective a little bit more about fire is the new normal because that is what's needed in this ecosystem, in this environment. So that's an example of like, is that right? What else do I need to know? Then ask myself, am I catastrophizing? My answer is often yes. What can I do with that information? Often it's cry. Often it's grieve. It's truly feel the full feeling so that I can get back into action taking. Action taking. Well, I can tell you, I've become a nut around trying to reduce plastic, learning about how the learning about recycling and the recycling industry, realizing the recycling industry isn't as robust or really working as much as we would love to. Most of us are wish cyclers. Look up the term wish cycling. It's pretty frustrating. I got worms and I do worm composting and my chickens compost and I I bring reusable bags to the grocery store now that the grocery store will let me because for a while COVID just wanted us with plastic bags, which drove me crazy. And I go to the farmer's market and I, I've switched out, like I have shampoo bars and refillable soap, glass soap containers and sea sponges and like I could go over that stuff, which is actually kind of fun. And I love all these um, low-waste, zero-waste stores that are popping up online and in places and refill stores where you can go and refill your shampoo and your soaps. And I love that. And like 
80%, don't quote me on that, but a very, very large percent of the pollution and the impetus for the changing climate comes from very large corporations. And like having an electric car and composting is a beautiful skill for the future and for our community and for the planet, but it's not moving the dial like taking down these companies would. So then it's about education. It's about voting. It's about volunteering. And it's about the long game. So if we're going to be this and for the long run, and for those of you with children, we have to be, it's going to take some time. And it's going to hurt in the meantime sometimes. So we got to find some joy. What Mary Good talked about with conjuring curiosity is finding the pleasure and joy even when, for us, literally, the skies are orange and the sun looks like it never rose. Like, what is true? Soup on the stove, a baby's laugh, a full belly, a glass of water, a sleeping kitty, uh, Netflix, (laughs) my garden, electricity is running, the trees are alive, I'm breathing. I'm curious what else is beautiful and offering wonder, 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 wonder. And so in my parenting, I'm still such a new parent. I, people ask me my parenting style. I don't know. I'm figuring it out. But what I know is I want Atlas to feel wonder for the natural world. And she naturally does. When the wind blows through the leaves and the trees, it is like a miracle to her. When a rose petal touches her face, she closes her eyes and savors the sensory experience. So I don't want to shut that off. And I don't want to model for her putting my head in the sand because it's all too much. Because there will be a moment where she needs to respond. And I don't know how she'll respond, but it is my hope I can model in myself how to respond. And that is through a love of earth and a gratitude for food on our plates and the planting of trees and the tending of a garden and the understanding of the life-death-rebirth cycle and honoring of the seasons and all of it and grieving, grieving what is lost. And I've bet some of you have some really beautiful ways that you are parenting in a time of climate change in a time of eco-grief. And I would love to know, particularly uh, with toddlers and then school-aged children, children who are aware of what's going on with climate change, who are experiencing that anxiety and that grief, what are you doing with them and for them and alongside them? Share with me, please, on Instagram. When I, If you're listening to this, then on Instagram there is a post about this. And I would love to hear from you there. Becca Piastrelli, thank you for listening to where I'm at on all of this. And have courage, make space for your grief. And remember, we're in this together. One organism. Bye. 
Thank you so much for joining me. I know your time is sacred and the fact that you spent it with me talking about belonging means a lot. If you want to access show notes or links to old episodes, check out belongingpodcast.com. And if you know a friend who could really benefit from listening to this episode, share it with them. I'll talk to you soon.